You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. Chris Carlisle is the former head strength and conditioning coach for the Super Bowl champion Seattle Seahawks. And his professional career started as an educator and a coach at the high school level, then moved up winning a Super Bowl, two college football national championships, and seven consecutive Pac-10 championships. But since retiring from football, Chris has become a sought-after motivational speaker, incorporating experiences from his professional and personal life into each one of his presentations. His upcoming book, and what a book it is, Move or Die, Creating a Game Plan from Stuck to Significance, puts readers on the path to obtaining the life that they've always believed that they were destined for. Even Russell Wilson, NFL quarterback now with the Denver Broncos, said, Chris's lessons, words, visions, and inspirational stories not only impacted me in the NFL, but as a man. And I am grateful for his significance in my life from the moment I met him. We either move or we die. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome author, speaker, and a Super Bowl champion, Coach Chris Carlisle, to the show. Welcome. Thank you, Ward. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about doing this. Well, I'm excited about speaking with you. I read your book, Move or Die. And as I told you before our interview, I'm making it required reading for anyone that knows me because it is a book of true to life, life lessons that make us better people. Well, thank you. And that's where I was going. I've, I'm, a, I'm a voracious reader. And I've read all these books about other people's stories. And, you know, sometimes they have to twist the story to fit their narrative. But here, these are stories that came right out of my life. And and then I use my degree in history, uh, my master's degree. And and so it kind of spawns into that where I'm able to incorporate stories from history into uh, to to, to really broaden the, the point I'm trying to make. Well, what I loved about the beginning of your book, you were so transparent. You were honest about, well, you came across young, you were, you're arrogant, think you knew it all. Uh, you could call plays and, and you just think you were better than everybody else, but you started learning things weren't exactly the way that uh, you envisioned. And I love the way your book starts off because you cover three things that we need to really understand. So why are arrogance ignorance and inflexibility sticking points in our life. When I was getting out of college, I, I was so arrogant. I didn't even apply for an assistance job. I, I thought, why would I sit behind somebody I know more than? That's how arrogant I was. I knew I knew how to run plays. I knew everything about football. I'd grown up in football. I collected football cards. So why wouldn't I know everything? But ignorance, arrogance, and inflexibility. Those three things are the sticking points for most careers. You know, you think you know everything, you don't want to learn anything, and then you won't bend from the way that you've, you've thought. And, you know, it took, it took several opportunities for me to learn and to go back and, you know, uh, you know the, the scar across my head here is an example of, of me becoming more flexible. And, and I don't want to get up on the pulpit too much, but I've always believed that God leads you into a situation that you're supposed to be. And, and sometimes he'll roll up a newspaper, hit you across the nose, and sometimes he takes a chicken house fan 
and puts it across your nose. And, and, you know, you learn very quickly, this is a path I should be on. You know, I read that story in your book and I believe that you are probably the, the first person that truly explained correctly that yes, God loves us, God can guide us, but he understands that uh, we have free will and they're going to, and there's going to be that time if we don't turn that rolled up newspaper is going to bop, bop us on the nose and set us right. straight. And he did that just for you. Well, yeah, I, I was, I was, when I was coaching, I was the designated yeller. That's was the title. And I thought that was like a crown on my head, but it was really a dunce cap. I didn't realize how bad it was that I didn't want to do that. It shouldn't be that way. And then I took a job in, at Supianco Academy in Arkansas. And uh, I had a chicken house fan crush my skull, tear the brain sack, put brain shards, uh, uh, skull shards into the brain. And the doctor, when I was getting ready for camp six weeks later, said, you can't strain, you can't, uh, um, you can't hold a sneeze in. And I was like, okay, okay, you know, because of intracranial pressure. He said, and you can't yell. Well, I went to my toolbox, my coaching toolbox, and all I had was this big sledgehammer, all right? And it was yelling. And so I went out that first day thinking, I don't know how, how to coach. And so all I could do is talk at this, this uh, um, volume. And here, the first thing that ever happened in my career, the players leaned in to hear. And it was that revelation moment where you just like, before they were all re rearing back because of the volume I was using. And now they wanted to hear me teach. And so at that point, it was that moment, that epiphany, I don't need to yell. At that time, my, my career record was 39, 77, and 1. All right? So if you hired me in my first 11 years, I could guarantee you three wins. Okay? <laughs> Not very good. Wow. You put that in a big perspective right then and there. And then after that, like you said in the warm-up there, three national well, four national championships in college, a junior college, three national championships in college, uh, two trips to the Super Bowl, all the conference championships, because I became more flexible and learned what I was supposed to be doing. I didn't need to yell, but I needed to teach. And that's what a coach is. A coach is a teacher. And so we don't need to go ahead and yell at our, our athletes. We need to go ahead and teach our athletes. And that was that, uh, that breaking point for me where I went from 33% winning to 73% winning. And at that moment, it just is that transition for the next uh, 23 years of my career. I went on to win 73% of my games. So, you know, it was a huge huge change in my life, but, but you have to be open for it. The ignorance, the arrogance, the inflexibility, you have to want to change. You've got to want to make the breakthrough. And, and so people become stuck and that's the crux of the book. People become stuck because they won't get out of their own way. And that's where the inflexibility comes from because mm -hmm. that's where we truly learn. And, and like you said, in your book, you explained arrogance, you explained ignorance, but it was the inflexibility that, like you said, we stand in our own way. We have to learn to change to be better, correct? Yes, 100%. If, if we're not willing to change, we're not going to be able to move forward. We're not going to go ahead and move forward. And, and the whole, the move and, or die part of the book, and people are like, well, where did that come from? I was doing a book on training athletes, 
And I wanted to see how far back movement became part of our inner need. And I went back and found a study by, in, from Texas A&M University that said our, for our way back to the beginning, when we were coming out of the river valleys, getting onto the great plains and the steppes, and we began to chase the animals and move. At that time, it became part of our genetic need is that we have to move. Now we have moved east, west, north, south to the, to the moon, to the bottom of Mariana's Trench. We've been to Mount Everest. And so geographically we can't move. So where can we move now? Well, we move spiritually, we move socially, and we move professionally. And if we're not moving professionally, then look at all the diseases that are occurring with, with high blood pressure and diabetes from, from our, our not moving, not taking care of our bodies, not doing the things. We go to work and we start working for somebody else's dream. Think about that. When you go to work, you're working for somebody else's dream. Somebody else has dreamt this of, the, of this corporation, this business, and you're helping them accomplish your, their dream. How about your dream? Are you getting your dream accomplished? And that's where the book goes to, from stuck to significance. And see, I love that because I love, well, let me put it this way. I do love books that help people along the path to the desire of their heart and to their dream. Yours is the first book that I have read that gets down to the nitty gritty. It's time to get your hands dirty. Stop standing by the wishing well and get to work. And ladies and gentlemen, I, and I will say this about Chris Carlisle's book, Move or Die. If you want to understand that if you're after the desire of your heart, you are after that dream you want to accomplish, you got to take steps of faith that may not be directly connected to the vision you have in your head. There are things that you're going to need to do now. Maybe it is getting up an hour early uh, in the day. And, and Chris, you know, you even brought it out that prepare your clothes the night before and get them ready the next morning. You lay out these little things, but it's those little things that make a huge difference and an impact in one's life. It's about being consistent in everything you do. If you're consistently late, consistently sloppy, consistently um, uh, behind in your work. Don't, don't think they're going to come down and say, you know what, you're vice president material. We want you up on the top floor. No, be the best. And I talk about those people in the, in the mailroom who, who want to be on top, but they do such a terrible job in the mailroom. Well, they're not going to find you. I've had one job interview in my life, my first job. After that, everybody else has come to get me to be part of their organization because they want, they want that type of energy. They want that type of person to be with them. And so, you know, that's the work that you get to put in. And I talk about get to versus got to. Get to is eating ice cream. Got to is eating cauliflower. You got to eat it. It's going to keep you alive. You know, get to is that, that, that great surprise. But we, we, we have to turn those got to moments into get to's. And I talk about grind. Everybody goes, oh, it's such a grind. Grind's amazing. That's when things get done. That's when you break down those small things into, into that gravel that's a foundation for success. And like you were talking about, success is all what your listener wants to, wants to be. You, we all don't have to be the president of the universe to, to be successful. It's just what you want to be. And then when you get there, then the, the, the end of the, the book talks about leaving your mark. And this is for those people who find success 
who get to the top. Uh, Sir Edmund Hillary, when we, when he got to the top of Everest, looked at uh, Sherpa and said, so now what? You, know, you just <laughs> climbed the highest mountain in the world. What, where, where are you going to go from there? Well, he kept climbing and making difference with his philanthropy. All right. So those who get to the top, who get to their success, now we move to uh, significance because success is what you do to accomplish what you need to become what your goals were. To be significant is to help others accomplish theirs to help them to become successful. So that's from stuck to significance. Yes, sir. Yeah, and, it, and it's true, too, even if we haven't made it to our goal, maybe we haven't made it to our dream yet, but it's still vitally important for us to help others along the way right. because we will eventually have that help come to us because it's basically the same principle. It's reap what you sow. You're either going to reap good to those around you, helping to encourage and inspire and help people learn to be better so they can reach their goal and their dream because it will come back to you. It surely does. Uh, when I was eight years old, I told Nate Lau, I'm going to win a Super Bowl. Well, 40 years later, I did. Okay. But when I was sitting on the airplane on the tarmac in New York and I was working on the off season program and it was February 4th and I was working on the program for April. So my life's goal I was done with it in 12 hours. We won, we celebrated, I'm on the plane. I'm working for the next year, all right? And I sat back and I really thought, maybe winning wasn't my, my, my true goal. And I found or that my true goal was helping others to become successful. Football was only a vehicle for me to help others. And so, you know, when I figured that out, I thought, you know what, geez, it, it opened my, my eyes to the revelation again that I, I have so much more to do. And when I was coaching, I had 100 people is all I could talk to. And my limitations on interviews because of well, organization rules, I couldn't reach out to more people. So when I had the opportunity to move out of football, I thought, you know, I can reach out, get in you know, touch with, with you and your group and be able to speak to thousands of people about my message. And it's just, you know, you all can do it. I was just a regular guy. I was born with handicaps and I had my tooth front teeth knocked out and developed a stutter and a speech impediment. And it was, you know, I'm just a regular guy. I had cancer, beat it, you know, because I didn't, I, I never let it become part of my life. You know, that was the thing. I, I put it in the back seat. Um, but, but I'm just a normal person. And I went from a high school coaching job to a Super Bowl. Okay. And so no matter where you are at, you can get where you want to be. Now, I, you know, if you're five foot five and you want to be the next LeBron James or Michael Jordan, you know, maybe not, but you know what, you can still win the NBA championship by getting in part of that organization and you become part of it by volunteering and moving up the ladder. And then all of a sudden you're part of the organization and you help win the, 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 uh, the championship, whatever your goals are, you can get them as long as you're willing to put the time in. Yeah, because see, you know, you bring up a good point because if it's the NFL, if it's the NBA, if it's the MLB, even those people that we don't see in front of the camera, there are so many people behind the scenes that when that organization wins, if it's the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, or the World Series, everybody gets a ring. So right. it takes so many people to make an organization work. So right. for people to get to that level, how do we learn to understand who we are and where we want to be? 
I think the most important thing is to understand your what. All right. And people, there's, there's, there's too many books out there that talk about your what. Here's what what means to me. What are your two, what are your gifts? Everybody has those those seven secret you know seasonings that make you different from everybody else. And in my book, I use the analogy of uh, crayons. And I was an eight crayon guy, you know, the Crayola eight, okay, the big old thick ones because I'm a passionate crayon guy. I make uh, pictures three dimensional because of the layers of crayon I built up. But see, that's who I am. And I understood I was only an eight crayon guy. When I tried to reach outside that box, that's when I was 33, 79, and one. All right, when I got back in the box and I understood what my strengths were and I followed those strengths, then I became who I was supposed to become. All right, so it's, it's what are you, what are your specialties? What makes you different? And it, it's, it may not be the outside, it's all inside your loyalty, your work ethic your spirituality, uh, your, your relationships, um, your, your perseverance, you're able to persevere. And that's the thing, uh, Randy Posh wrote a book, The Last Lecture, and it was a, uh, it was, uh, Carnegie Mellon had a system of lectures called, your, if you had your last lecture, what would it be? Well, Randy Posh was a professor there and he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and was given months to live and he gave his last lecture, literally. And he talked about the walls that are put up in front of you. And he said, the walls are not there for you. They're not there to stop you. They're there to decide how important this is to you. All right. Those walls are set up for other people. So if you have a wall in front of you, climb over it, get around it, dig under it, whatever it takes, get through that point in your life to move on. Because if you get stopped, you get stuck. And that's where the book comes in. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, Move or Die is definitely a book that if you feel stuck, if you feel like you're in a rut, and again, sometimes it could simply be you standing in your own way and you got to break through that wall, this is the book to be reading. Now, Chris, what is the difference between being committed versus being involved? <laughs> that's, that's my Martina Navratilova <laughs> quote. She says that um, being uh, being involved is like, being involved committed is like uh, uh, bacon and eggs. The chicken is involved. The hog is committed. All right. So so you have that whole thing. You know, if if you're just involved, well, then you're not going to reap the benefits. But when you become committed, when you throw everything all of your heart and soul into it and you keep pushing and even if it doesn't work out the first time and you keep going and keep pushing and keep pushing great things are going to happen amazing things will happen if you continue down your path and and don't let anybody stop you yeah you know i i i i notice a lot of people um getting out of college young adults adults mature adults and they it's like they're walking around and they don't have a manual to go by and mm. to go through life trial and error can be very, very bad in many ways and not really having a, you know, we're not given a manual when we're born. Our parents aren't given a manual when we're born and everybody's winging it. Ladies and gentlemen, we finally have a book before it's called move or die where we don't have to wing it. We can mm. learn little things. So 
Chris, uh, you know, I would love to see parents get this book and have their children, at least high schoolers, read this book to start developing the right uh, mindset, to uh, develop the right habits now. Because, you know, it's like I, tell, like I told my kids, school is a phase. It's a season, okay? You can decide right now to create certain habits. The thing is, is most of them never do. They, they wait till maybe they get to college or they may not even develop habits having a decent job and they get fired because they didn't develop anything. So for a lot of people out there from, from middle schoolers to high schoolers to college, you know, how do they develop a learning mindset and even getting into those little things like I mentioned before? Get your clothes ready the night before. Set two alarm clocks. Those things are important. Right. And, and it's the way we bring our kids up. Uh, we, we put so much pressure on these kids getting to college that once they get there, they're like, OK, now what? You know, they, they, they have no background. They have no idea. They have no error to go. Uh, what's your degree in business? OK, what part of business? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to get it in business. Well, you, you know, find out who you are. And we talk about it in the book. We find about we talk about what's your why, you know, why are you wanting to become part of this? And, uh, you know, the why came about, I was working with the University of Arkansas basketball team and they went on to win the national championship. And uh, and I asked these guys, you know, what are you willing to do? What's your why? Why are you here? What are you willing to do? And then my third question is, are you sure? You know, because too many times people have all these great dreams, uh, but they aren't willing to pay the price to get to accomplish them. And so let's understand who you are. What is your what? What's that magic, that special sauce you have that makes you different from everybody else? Your why and then put you on a path of what you really love to do. What is your passion? And I don't think people understand their passion. Uh, you know, I always talk about, you know, go back to when you're eight or 10 years old, what did you want to be back then? Because you, you weren't told the cost back then. You had no idea what it cost to become what you wanted to become. And so why aren't you that? Well, because life got in the way. You know, I, I, got, I took this job and now I, I bought a car and I have house payments. And it, it's like, I was, I was coaching at a high school my wife had just opened a business. We were living in her grandparents' house. And I had an opportunity to go to the University of Arkansas as a graduate assistant. I was 30 years old. And uh, it's late to go back, but it was an opportunity that I needed to have. We were going to make $400 a month, 10 months of the year. Rent was $450. I gave up a job. My wife sold her business. We moved across the state the first time my wife had moved away from home. All right, because it was part of the path I needed to go on. It was a risk, but it was a, um, a measured risk. It was a calculated risk because I was a teacher. If I got my master's degree, then I would be able to go ahead and earn more as a teacher if the coaching thing didn't work out. So there, you know, there was no loss in the job other than for a year and a half financially. But we talk about that. That was the best times, you know, when we had uh, uh, um garlic twists and spaghetti sauce for dinner you know and then that was that was a great time we find the two for one deals 
and we go out, you know, and that was a, that was a big thing. We go to the movie during the, during the time that it was left, but you find these times in your life that you, you, you have to get to where you need to be. And because my passion was there, I understood my passion. My wife supported me and we moved through. But that's the thing that we've got to find our passion, understand who we are, understand our what, and then go ahead and move forward. Why is it so hard for people to understand what sacrifice actually means? Everybody lives in a world today where I'm not going to use the word entitled. It's more of they don't want to give something up to get something better. And I see a lack of sacrifice in today's society. Why is that? Yeah, that's, a, that's the big question right there. But people are willing to settle and, and to accept, you know, less. And that's, that's why I wrote the book. Don't settle for less. You know, continue to push forward to be the best you can be. Why not? We're, we only get one chance at this thing. You know, we're only here once. This is our one time. You get that one chance to go ahead and take it to the end. And well, I'm watching TV and go ahead. And go ahead. No, well, let me ask you this, because you have coached uh, different ages of people, mm -hmm. you know, from yeah. from high school to, to college, to, to the NFL, to where players could be anywhere from 22 to 40. Yeah. Uh, how, what did you see between all, all of those different stages and those ages where – did, did you see the multiple differences in mindsets? Did you see older NFL players and you're thinking, you could have been so much better? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're writing a great paycheck, but you're not giving the team what that paycheck is worth. Without a doubt. And that's, that's, that's the hardest thing to accept. And it goes back to the whole crayon idea. And I had my eight crayons, and there's the people with the 129 crayons with the sharpener in the back. And I looked over at those crayons and people weren't using their crayons. And I found that in, in whether it be the, the 15 year old kids I was dealing with in high school or the, or the 38 year old men I was dealing in the NFL that, and those, as they got closer to the end, they began to understand they had perspective of what they had passed up. Mm -hmm. Oh, if I'd done this differently, if I, you know, if I had worked hard the whole time, maybe I would have, you know, banked more money and had more, to, uh, you know, had more success in my, my career. But it's the same way all the way down the line. You've got to use all those gifts you have, all those crayons in your box. If you only have eight, use all eight. If you have the 48 pack, congratulations, but use them. Don't just be satisfied. We, I'm going back to the first thing we talked about. Don't be satisfied working for somebody else's dream. Make sure that's your dream also. Because like you said, there's a lot of jobs in that cor cor corporation as it moves to that Fortune 500. All right. And you don't have to be the CEO, but you can be part of it if that's what your passion is. If this is who I'm supposed to be, this is what success is for me, then that's great then go ahead and accomplish your success. All right. And so, you know, that's the thing that we talk about all the time is, is how, how heart wrenching it is when people do not use all the gifts they've been given. Well, you bring up a good point in your book and I really had to think about it, but I want to hear it from you because <clears throat> all of us are individuals. We all have individual hopes and dreams and things that we want to do and hopefully succeed at and have success. 
It doesn't matter if you own a business of your own, if you work for a corporation, if you work for the Seattle Seahawks, where, where is there a dividing line between your own personal hopes and dreams and at the same time giving all you got for the corporation or the team that you are working for? Because well, you know, sure. when I watch team sports, you know, I love baseball, but you get a lot of guys that are focused on setting their own numbers and not playing with the team. Yeah. I'm an old offensive lineman. Okay. You know, think about your favorite team. Can you name five offensive linemen on that team? Well, no. Okay. Because we're the ones who did the dirty work to help everybody else accomplish what their goals were. But, that was our passion, and that was my passion as I was just, quote unquote, the head strength coach. Or when I was at the University of Tennessee, I was just the assistant strength coach. But I still worked every day to accomplish the goals of the player. What did they want to do? And when they accomplished their goals, it accomplished the goals for the organization. Because when they hit their best, then the, the organization got better. And so you work from like we work with quarterbacks from the from from the feet up. And so we work from the base all the way through the chain to make sure that the whole the whole approach to the athlete, the mindset, the character. Uh, I was I was talking to a group yesterday and they were talking about the 2013 team and they were talking about Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson. And you know, I said, here's the thing. We had a bunch of third and fourth and fifth round draft choices that made up that football team. Here's the one thing that football team had that you can't get by having all first character. The character those players had, the love for each other that they had. The great Bill, Bill Russell just passed away, and he came and spoke to that team. And he said about the teams they had in Boston when they were going on their run, winning 11 uh, world championships. He said, here's what we did. We loved one, we loved one another. And so, you know, that's that's everybody talks to L.O.B. was a legion of boom, was the defensive backfield in Seattle. And it actually within the building, L.O.B. meant love our brother. All right. And so everybody else, well, oh, legion of boom. No, no, no. In the building, it was love our brother. OK, so the person next to you, the person you're working with. And so that's the whole concept that if you want to be successful, then be successful as a group. No eagles. Nobody gets to be on, you know, somebody may get more interviews, but as far as we're working for the team and you watch people like Russell Wilson and he's deferring off, he's pushing off the blame of success to everybody else. But when things didn't go right, he took it upon himself. You know, I, I think one of the, one of the great examples of that was uh, we, we did lose the uh, 2014 Super Bowl to the Patriots. And so the, the media all had their knives out. They were going to slice and dice and cut everything. So Coach Carroll gets up in front of everybody and he says, let me start by saying that last call was my fault. I made the call. It's my fault. It was, it, don't get mad at anybody else. It wasn't a quarterback. It wasn't a coordinator. It wasn't anybody else. It was my call. I did it. If you want to get mad at somebody, get mad at me. Leadership 101 right there. Yeah. Masters, a master's class in leadership. He took the blame. He ate the blame. Uh, Kennedy says uh, each victory has a thousand fathers. Each loss is an orphan. Okay. Now he could have walked, walked away from that. All right. 
But he and the media wouldn't let it go for months. No, but he owned it because yeah. now nobody else had the blame upon them. So they could go about their life. Now he could have said, well, this guy called the plan. That guy threw them. This guy didn't do this. And this guy did. No, no, no. My fault. I did it. If you want to get mad at somebody, me. And that's what leaders do. They take the shot. Well, you, know, you bring Russell up a Wilson point. Up there and took the shot too for it. Yeah. Well, it was you, mine. well, you bring up a point. Okay. Let's say you work for a corporation. Mm -hmm. and you're an employee and you screw up. Now you have two choices. You can own up to it or you can lie to save your, hopefully to save your job. Right. So what's the best advice? Just own up to it and let the dice fall where they may. Sure. I would own up to it. Yeah. You know, and that's the way you, you go about business. When we were working, if something happened with one of the athletes in the weight room while we were working and I wasn't with him, I still took the blame because if if something went wrong, I did not teach my assistant well enough to make sure it didn't happen, or I did not set up the drill well enough that that didn't happen. And so, you know, that's what leadership is. That's when you go ahead and take the blame. And, and if it was one of the employees, then his overseer should have seen, uh, his, his direct boss should have seen and said, no, no, that was my fault. I didn't teach him how to do that better. Now let's see if we can change this and make this right. Let's turn this into an advantage. And that's the way life is. When you get to those roadblocks, those walls, how can we use those walls? Because when I climb up on the wall, Lord, you know what I get to do? I get to see farther down the path. And so you get that opportunity. It's a wall, but now it helps me see farther down. And so use everything that happens with you as a positive. And that's up to you. We, we control what we control. You control your attitude. You, you control your effort. You can control your daily interactions with everybody. You control your, your, your time with God. You control the way you do things. And so if you want to be a backside, all right, then, then walk around grumpy all the time, okay? But if you want to be an uplifter and empower a, a, a person who brings people with you, then be positive. Smile. Ask them how their day is. You know, that's the thing about Coach Carroll. He, he would ask about my family before me, and that was good. You know, he wanted to know how my son was, how my wife, and oh yeah, how are you doing? All right. But that was fine with me because my family is the most important thing. You know, that, that was, he'd given us an assignment. He wanted us to go ahead and write out our priorities. And so some people had, I mean, it was like a PowerPoint with hundreds and different, di different levels. And I had two, I had number one family, number two, everything else. And he well, looked at that, looked at me and he said, is this it? And I said, yes, sir. He goes, good job. Okay. Because, you know, I, I think I understood what, you know, what, to me, this is what it is. My family is number one and, and everything else I'll deal with in order as it comes to me. But right now this is my family. And so, you know, after that, you know, then I, I'm an old boot, you know, I, you know, I've been kicked around and thrown around. I'm okay. I'm a survive, you know? And so that's just, that's perseverance. Well, one of the best stories, I guess one of the best analogies in your book is the story of the three cowboys. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So I went back to uh, Shadron, Nebraska, which is a little town in western Nebraska. Okay. Uh, one stoplight in the middle of the town. Uh, you could walk to campus from to, to downtown and, and then stagger back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you didn't have to worry about DUIs there. You just stagger down, walk down, stagger back. And, uh, and so we had lived there 
my dad's with the railroad. So he was, we was work, he was working out in Western Nebraska and my best friend was Doug Ross. And so we moved to chase railroad every three years. We moved with the railroad and my dad would bring me a box and say, everything that fits goes, what doesn't, doesn't. So still today, I don't have a lot that I, you know, uh, thing I, I'm, I'm very low maintenance, which is, which is very good for me. Um, and so I met up again with Doug Ross 20 years later. Uh, and, uh, and so we were sitting there at a bar and he was with, uh, uh, a cowboy. I mean, this guy was OG cowboy. I mean, had the, his face looked like the, the, the saddle. I mean, it was just old leather and he had the, the can in the back and he told a story about three cowboys and I'll go through it quickly. Uh, the, there was a writer who was with the, uh, cattle drive and the first guy he was with complained about everything. And when they got to camp, set up his bedroll, grabbed meal and went in, and lay down and fell asleep. Next day, got up, got on, on his horse, asked the, the head of the, of the ride, can I get out in front? So I not eat dust. He says, no, you get in the back. Next day, the rider found the second guy and this second guy comes into camp and he's part of it. He's, you know, he stays up and he sings songs and, you know, he, he's, he's a good worker. And then there's a third guy. And he was hard to catch up to because he was riding around getting cattle and everything. And when he got into camp, he curry combed his horse down. And then he uh, went over to the, uh, the cook and asked, hey, can I do anything for you? And he said, yeah, if you give me some water, that'd be great. And in return, the cook saved him some meat and some beans that the other guys didn't get. And the next morning he wakes up and he makes coffee. And, and uh, but the, the whole story was, which cowboy are you? The guy who complains and wants to be out in front the guy who's just there or the guy who's willing to do whatever it takes to be successful. Because when that cowboy got to town, instead of spending his money gambling like the first guy and going and having a good stake and gambling with, with the second guy, the third guy put his money in the bank and hooked on with another ride. And he said, you know, what, what, what are your goals? He said, look around one day. I want to own all this. Okay. And so that's what it takes is which cowboy are you? The guy who complains and, and, and is happy with what he's got, the guy who's just going to get along, or the guy who's willing to do whatever it takes to get his dreams accomplished. And so I thought that was one of those great stories that I had uh, growing up with uh, in, in small Shadron, Nebraska. Yeah, and I like the fact that you ask the reader, which cowboy are you? And, and, and you, you spend a lot of time in the book talking about all of that early preparation day in and day out because not only is it creating discipline within us but it's also improving our chances to succeed as time goes on without without a doubt preparation is there were five things that we talked about in the five p's and these five p's are the things that i watched people do that achieve their goals the first thing was they had great passion. All right. They loved it more than anything. The second thing they did was they prepared better than everybody. Number three, they practiced what they talked about all the time. They wanted to make sure they were always ready. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, one of the guys that we talked that one of my favorite people in the world, always talking people said, you ready? He goes, hey, if you're always ready, you don't got to get ready. 
And so, you know, it's a preparation thing. Are you always ready to be at the top? If the boss asks you to do a presentation on whatever you're doing, would you go, uh, 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 or do you go, sure, let me go. That's preparation. Be prepared to be successful. All right. And then go ahead and perform. When you have that chance to talk to somebody who's above you that, that can help bring you up the job, be ready, be prepared. And when you get up there, perform at your highest. Work every day like it's your last day. All right. Don't don't just put time in. Make sure you're valuing everything. And the last thing you have to have is perseverance. And we talk about perseverance. So it's it's uh, passion, preparation, practice, performance and perseverance, because those four first four may not work all at once. But if you keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, eventually it's going to happen. And those are the five things I found in the people who succeeded. And they're not hard. They're what you do every day. You know, it's, it's, it's not hard to prepare to be right. It's not hard to practice being right. And when you have your chance, to be, once you prepare right and you practice right, performance is easy. You know, that's always the thing when, when I go out and speak, uh, people uh, ask, are, are you nervous? Well, no, because... I prepared for this. You know, this has been my whole life of preparing to, to talk to Dr. Ward Bond. You know, this moment, I've been preparing my whole life for this. And then the next thing I come to, that's I've been preparing for that. I was an officiant at a friend's daughter's wedding just uh, not long ago. And I was asked before the wedding, are you nervous? And no, I already know how it's going to turn out. You know, because I've already done it in my head. I prepared, I practiced. And when it came to time to perform, wasn't a problem at all. Everybody gets nervous. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid to get in front of crowds. Why? You probably didn't practice. You probably didn't prepare. It may not be your passion. And so when it comes to time to performing, you're probably not going to be ready. And, and, and don't, don't get mixed up, those, those butterflies. That's excitement. That's I couldn't right. Wait, I couldn't wait to get on with you today. All right, because I was excited to talk and meet somebody new and talk about my book and everything. And so that don't be don't think that's oh I don't think I can no no that's what that's all that energy that wants to come out. No, and I, I completely that. agree. I get people asking me all the time, "Are you nervous when you talk to famous people?" And I go, hmm. "No." The thing that unnerves me the most is if the technology doesn't work right. It's not the interview. It's the stupid technology that man created. Okay. But I, you know, because, you know, people ask me about things like interviews, but I'm like, but like you said, I prepare, you know, I prepared for the last few weeks to get ready to talk to you. And I'm like, I'm going to be interviewing a coach who has a Super Bowl ring, who has Mm -hmm. national championships, who through his book, learned that yelling wasn't the answer and he was transparent, learned lessons. And you literally, Chris, I even hate to call you Chris, you're coach Carlisle to me. <laughs> so our coach, our coach Z, like everybody called you. Yeah, because I'm reading your book and I'm like, I'm getting coached. I'm learning even, even more, you know, because like you said, we have got to be willing to learn and to learn outside of those things. It's like the things that you mentioned in the book, all of the things that you read and the things that you studied, you know, that one coach that hired you and said, I want you to be the guru. Was it, the, was it a movement coach or a running coach or something? I want you to be the guru. You traveled across the country to learn right. more and more and more. And then right. you became where you fit the word 
guru. And yeah. a lot of people don't understand what it takes to do that. Well, I, I knew, uh, you know, I, I wasn't very fast when I, <laughs> and so I had nothing natural to happen, but, but, you know, here's what I could do. I could go ask that stupid question. See, I'm not afraid to ask a stupid question because it's not stupid. If I don't know it, if you've ever been doing a puzzle and you can't find that piece, and you do find that piece and all of a sudden all these other pieces come together because you found that piece. And so, you know, that's, that's where I came up. I've, I've never been, I'm an eight crayon guy. I'm not, not, I'm not a whiz. Okay. But I'm willing to ask a stupid question. I'm willing to outwork anybody. That's the thing. You can't outwork me. You may know more in the beginning, but in the end, I'm going to catch you. I'm going to pass you. All right. Because I'm relentless in the way I go about my work. All right. If I want to do this better than everybody else. Uh, and, and here's a cool thing. I just got this today um, from the um, Blackstone Publishing. I, I outsold everybody. I set the record for pre-sales of my book. Okay. And this is a huge, you know, they're a huge publishing company. And I thought, wow, good. Now, how many can I sell now? Okay. How many can I go and get that word out? Like I said, I was able to speak to a hundred at a time in, in, in the football organization, but now how many people can I pass the message on to, to help them at least find a little bit of an answer to say, okay, I can take that next step. Okay. Normal guy here did it. I can do it. All right. And so I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And so, you know, we, we stop putting the walls up in front of ourselves. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's the worst thing, Don. It's not only so much the person that you look to in the mirror that stops you because 80,000 messages go through our head. All right. 80% of those are negative. We're telling ourselves we can't do it. All right. Then we have the biggest sin. We have that person in our ear that's behind us. Oh, you can't do that. You're not good enough. You can't, you'll never be any more than this. Here's what they're trying to do. They don't want to get left behind. All right. They don't want to be by themselves because if you succeed that, then they, they're standing back there by themselves and they're going, you know, everybody goes, Hey, why didn't you succeed? You guys were friends. All right. So it's a lot easier to have that company in misery. So get away from those people. And I talk about my four quarters. Al Capone once said, when asked about people that he wanted to have around, he said, I'd rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. All right, because that's a lot of baggage. Think about a hundred pennies or four quarters. Now, you know, you, you can have two, you can have five or six. I got, I've got five. You know, I talk about it in my book about, about my, my four quarters. And my quarters are these people that I go to when I have a question. And, and if I could tell a quick story, um, world-renowned artist, Scott Christensen, the top plein air artist in the world. Okay. I played football with him. One of my buddies, I just talked to him the other day. So I was going through the iterations on my, um, on the cover of my book. Okay. I got that point back there. And so I had this great one and it was a, a guy, you know, behind a desk, a stick man, of course, cause I draw, that's my drawing. I'm a stick man guy. Okay. Eight crayons. Remember we're talking eight crayons. All right. And, and he was sitting behind a desk and he had this board look on his face and there's a train coming behind him. And on the train boilerplate was life. And so here comes life, you either move or die. And so he put me in touch with a guy named John Burton. And I didn't know John. And so I call him and, and he's, a, he's a graphic artist. And so we were talking about my book. He said, tell me about the, your, your covering. I went through it and there's a train. He's going to, oh, oh, I, that was a train. I said, yeah. He says, let me ask you a question. Are you going to stand next to your books in the bookstore and explain that cover to everybody? 
well, no. He said, well, you have seven seconds. You get seven seconds to catch their eye. And so you've got to do it that quick. Now, John Burton is the graphic artist for the Star Wars franchise. All right. He does all their storyboards. All right. So I'm talking to a big hitter. And I didn't know who John was, which, you know, made it easier. But I was prepared to be. And I asked him dumb questions. Well, what do I need to do? He said, get your title, make sure it sticks out because your title is strong. And then I said, I have to have a stick, man. He said, you know, put him, there, there's a ball. It's it's the, the, the uh, Indiana Jones and the ball's running after him, either move or die, you know? And so, and so, you know, that's, that's where we get move or die. But that's when you have those people around you, those quarters that you can go to and ask, hey, do you like the cover? And as an artist, you know, he didn't like it. So, but he put me in touch with somebody else. But and he guided you in the right direction. And at the same time, Chris, he taught you something you didn't know. You have seven seconds. Same thing in television. You only have less than 10 seconds because, you know, a goldfish only has a three and a half second attention span and humans now have less. So we got to grab them. Move or die works. But in your book, you meant, and I love the story when you explained the four quarters of the hundred pennies. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, you have got to vet those people that you consider close to you because some of those people, they're anchors and you need to pull them up and get rid of them. Okay. Plain and simple. Go to the Lord and he'll show you how. But Chris, in your book, you mentioned that there are three qualities that build trust. What are they? Those three qualities are uh, consistency, um, uh, you know. (laughs) You got me on this one, Doc. Uh, uh, <laughs> See, I read the book, and I should have. I didn't want to write them down because I wanted you to explain them. I was going somewhere else, but but you know the, the, the you know consistency is is the most important. Um, you've got to have the people. Uh, you've got to know yourself. You've got to surround yourself with people, and then you've got to be able to cultivate people around you for trust. Okay, and so those are the three things that uh, that we you know know yourself, know who you are, know what you're doing then surround yourself with people that you trust and then get people around you to trust you. And, and that becomes out of consistency that becomes out of communication. And the most important thing is caring. Okay. So when, when I'm talking about the people that I'm working with my assistants, I made sure I was consistent every day. I made sure that I communicated with my two rules, be early. And that's about respect not only respect for the organization or the team that you're with, but respect for yourself. Uh, and then, um, um, and then communicate, which is, I'm sorry, it was, uh, and I'm, I'm running in circles here. I'm sorry. That's all right. So yeah. So be early about that, but it's also respecting yourself. The second thing is communication because we always can answer and have problem, problem solved if we communicate. And so with my assistants, I made sure I communicated every day with them. We all knew who we were. And then the third thing was that caring. They knew I cared about them. I talked about Coach Carroll. He cared about me through my family. I made sure we talked about other things than training athletes when we were together. Yeah, because you're building a personal relationship. Every day, every day, you know, and that's, you know, and that those relationships last for the rest of your life. Yeah. And you you had, you brought up something in your book that, a lot of people need to really hone in on and focus on when they read your book. We live in a world where people do not succeed because they're afraid to be making 
a mistake. They're afraid to make a wrong turn. So formulating a plan to reduce the risk when making decisions, how do we do that? We, we need to go ahead and make sure that we, we weigh each idea that we're going through. Um, what part of the process are we in? How's it gonna affect us? How's it gonna affect my family? How's it gonna affect, uh, and I talk about it with when we're, when we're looking at jobs. And I wanted to understand why the guy left the job he just had. And so when you're making a decision, why is this a problem or why is this an opportunity that came up for you? Uh, I wanna know what the good, the bad, and the ugly were, okay? I wanna look behind the curtain. And it goes back to recruiting. Um, at USC, we had really, really bad, now they, they're beautiful, but when we were building the, org the program, terrible facilities, and we had water that would run down the wall and wallpaper coming off. And so we put tarps up and say, yeah, they're repairing, you know, they're, they're building brand new academic rooms in there to the recruits. But we just didn't want to see what there was, you know. So you look behind the curtain, find out what the good, bad, and the ugly are, and so um, uh, and so um, and and then you know families. You know, the first, you know, the one on my list is fifth. But we want to make sure that we understand why the jobs open, who we're going to work for, what the the good, the bad, the ugly are, um, and and how can I make a difference with the organization. When I make a decision, how is it going to make a difference? How am I going to make a difference? And then we talk about the last thing, even though it's last on my list, it's the first priority to me. It's it's family. How is it going to affect my family? And so that's the way I would go through my decision making process as we as we grew and, and expanded. And I still use that process whenever I come to a, a crossroads and I look at these decisions I have to make. Uh, you know, when it was leaving football, you know, is something I'd done for thirty five years. It's it was. It was the only reason why I was uh, a professional, I thought. Uh, but I looked at it, all of the things, and I said, this is going to be better for everybody. Then if I move on out of football, uh, you know, I've gotten to a point where I'm a little bit of a dinosaur, you know, which is okay. You know, I was uh, during the, if I'm a dinosaur, then I lived during the Jurassic period uh, or the, you know, where, where it was really a good time to be a dinosaur because that kind of coaching, that kind of work uh, brought great success. And that was just, being the best and helping the players accomplish their dreams. Well, in your book, Move or Die, you make a statement, a king ain't satisfied. What does that mean? <laughs> that's Springsteen. You know, that's, that's Springsteen. Uh, and, and, and a poor man wants to be rich. Rich man wants to be king. A king's not satisfied till he rules everything. All right, and that goes to speaking your truth. Uh, Springsteen talked about it. Okay, and in Badlands, and that's a song from Badlands, um, and, and Springsteen's my guy. But um, uh, so I was a poor man, being a high school coach, I thought, and then I became rich and when I became college coach, and then a rich man became king, and 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 then I, I became the NFL, and then I wasn't satisfied till it, and so I found I thought the Super Bowl was ruling everything, but it wasn't. I didn't find my end at that time. My end is how many people can I help along their path now? So rich man wants to be, uh, a poor man wants to be rich, rich man wants to be king. The king's not satisfied till he rules everything. When I'm talking about ruling, it's not controlling everything, but helping everybody, all right? And, and he goes on to talk about the, how hard it's gonna be, you know, to, to, to get to where you wanna be. 
And I, I suggest everybody go up, pull up Badlands, the song and by Springsteen and listen to it. And he's, and he's telling his truth. He's telling his, what he believes it is. And, and that's truth is such a, a negative thing. Uh, you have your truth that you want to hear. And then you have the truth that you need to hear. And too many people don't want to hear that, that truth. And that goes back to your quarters. If your quarters aren't willing to sit there and say, no, that's a bad idea. And this is why the bad, the idea is bad. And, and it's not to help them. They're not benefiting from this, but they're trying to help you dissuade you from doing whatever it is. You're standing on the house with feathers glued to your arms and you think you can fly. No, 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 no. That's a bad idea. Okay. You came up with a new idea for a wing that allowed it to lift on its own. That's a good idea. Let's go ahead and, and push that idea forward. So that's where your quarters are. But, you know, it goes back to Springsteen. I'm glad you brought it up. I love Springsteen. <laughs> was Thursday, Springsteen Day in the weight room. And so got my workout today and Springsteen was on there. So, well, um, you know, I, well, you amazing. said something. You brought it uh, up and I knew Springsteen. I knew that answer. <laughs> well, you said something that there's no such thing as a stupid question or a dumb question. No. And I think when people will grasp that simple sentence that you need to ask a stupid question or a dumb question that of course we're the ones calling it that, but it's not really dumb or stupid. We have to be willing to learn, but a lot of people don't have the strength or the faith to literally ask. And I always tell people, cause there's something I always live by. If you never ask the answer is always no. Right. We have to ask. And yeah, you know, it takes a, it doesn't take strength to ask a dumb question. It takes humility yes. because you don't know the answer, but you want to know, but how do you grow? You humble yourself and you ask and you, and believe it or not, that humility actually causes you to rise to another level. Well, so to get you, to the top, don't be arrogant, ignorant, <laughs> and inflexible. Or <laughs> Exactly. You know, I always say if you want to buy, win the lottery, you got to buy a ticket first. And that goes back to, you know, 1.2 billion. You know, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to win that lottery. Did you buy a ticket? Well, no. Well, you don't have a chance. There's no way you're going to win that lottery. There's no way you're going to progress if you don't ask the stupid question. And it may be going to somebody who, who sits in a bigger chair than you do and sit down with them and ask them, you know, here's a question I have. All right. About whatever the organization is, you know, and how do I sometimes the guy just wants to know or the woman in charge just wants to know that you care enough that you want to know. And, and then all of a sudden they'll open those doors for you, but they're not going to go to your door and knock on you. Hey, come, let me show you the answers to all the questions of this organization that you've got to go ahead and be hungry. And again, like you said, uh, well, you know, what's the worst thing they can say? No. Well, yeah, exactly. No, you know, that's fine. Then we know who they are. Then you go find the next person to ask that question. And then you'll climb over that person who was not willing to share. I've been an open book in coaching. If, if somebody wanted to watch my workouts, come on, open here's the door. I'm not, I have no secrets. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a genius. Here's what I did, I think, better than anybody. I organized my, 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 my workouts in a way that were different, thinking outside the box on the way that we went through our process of, of working out. Everything else, I'm the greatest thief of coaching 
Everything else I stole from somebody else. I traveled around the country about speed. Then I found all this information. Then I went to people who understood football speed. So I was able to lean that out. But again, asking stupid questions, but I now have lifelong relationships with people who were glad that I asked. And so yeah. now my, you know, my phone rings, you know, two or three times a day from coaches calling saying, Hey, what would you do? How did you do what the coaches came down and said, you know, and so here's, here's how I'd go about it, you know, and, you know, all I can do is just give my, give my opinion, but, but it's, it's just not being afraid. Uh, and it goes back to trust, trusting you. And I, you know, I go into the swimming pool, uh, you know, I, I flunked beginners three, three times. Okay. Of swim lessons. All right. I read that. <laughs> Why? Because I was afraid to dive into the deep end. Okay. And, and around us, we had people who swam in the Olympic qualifiers as lifeguards, college, all Americans who all came back to the pool for the summer so they could work and they would also be able to do their swimming that they needed to do to, to be competitive. And they're all standing there watching these little kids jump in the pool. I didn't trust them and I didn't trust myself. All right. And that's one of those great sins that we have to where I never allowed that to stop me again. I never allowed my fear to ask a question, to open a door, to uh, apply for a job in that first one, to apply for the head coaching jobs, you know, and, and to answer the phone when somebody called and said, hey, I got a great opportunity. You know, I was, I was sitting at home, uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. I had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. The doctors gave me a 40% chance to make it. And I get a phone call. Hey, I'm out here in Southern California. Would you like to join me? And it's like, uh, you know, and I didn't know who it was. And hey, this is Pete Carroll. It's like, oh, Pete Carroll. Okay. And so we talked, we talked. And, and I finally said, hey, you know, I got to let you know, I've been diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. And he let's pause and he goes, is that going to make you a different coach? And I said, no, sir. He said, can you be here on Monday? You know, and so and so I packed up my stuff on Friday. I did my chemo and then I hopped on the plane on Sunday and flew out there. And, and, uh, and you know, from that time of nine years with Pete at, at USC, nine years in Seattle, because I, I wasn't afraid to answer the phone. I wasn't afraid. I trust myself that I could muster up enough energy through the chemo and the radiation to go ahead and do it. And that's when I talk about how I beat cancer. I put it in the back seat. I gave it no time in my life, okay? Uh, that they said, you know, oh, your white blood cell count's gonna go down and you're gonna have to skip and you, you're, you're gonna be tired, you're gonna lose all your hair. Well, you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Not like I had a lot anyway. You know, I got a, I got a face for radio. And so I said, <laughs> I give myself the Neuprogen shots at, at you know, in the, in the hotel. Nobody's ever done it, but yeah. And I said, okay. So I didn't have them. I wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I get dressed. I go to the facility. First group was at six. We'd finish at six o'clock uh, at night. I'd walk back to the hotel, fall asleep, get up the next morning, boom, do the same thing. Never, never gave it a thought. The only time I thought about it was when they stuck the needle in to give me chemo. And so I had like three hours. I had to sit there and think about it. The metallic taste and all that stuff. I never did lose all my hair. I never did miss a day of work. Okay. It looks, you know, it's worse now. My hair actually became wavy and thicker with, with, and so I'm, you know, I don't know, you got to balance the stuff out. But what I'm getting at is don't let those things persevere through those things. Don't let the, the, the things get in your way that's going to stop you from accomplishing your dreams. And, and hey, Pete Carroll trusted me to do that. And so, you know what? I wasn't going to let him down. 
And so, you know, tremendous uh, relationship. He wrote the forward to the book. You know, that's a relationship. Everybody thinks because, you know, we split up and we went different ways. That's fine. That's a profession, you know, and, and but but we're still tight and we're still friends on that because this was a path I needed to be on. And so how can you get mad at anybody for helping you get on the path you know, you're supposed to be on? So, you know, that's 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 the whole part of of the relationships we get in this in this profession, in this life. Well, coach, I will tell you this. You are one mighty man. You are a gentleman. You are a scholar and you have written an incredible <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, I'm calling it here today. This is a best selling book, Move or Die by Chris Carlisle. It is a book, ladies and gentlemen, that, and look, you know, I read every book of my honored guest, and I always tell you the truth. And Coach Chris Carlisle's book, A Move or Die, Creating a Game Plan from Stuck to Significance, is a book we all need to read right now. It is also the book you need to give to your children and your grandchildren before they start school and make it required reading at home. And to all of you who work for someone, move or die will make you a better employee. And if you own your own business, you can be a better boss and a leader. And you have the power to create better employees that make them better people. Now look, no one really cares about the gold watch at the end of one's life and the phone calls will stop when the top of the casket is closed. But you are still alive and you're breathing and you can still fulfill your dreams, be a better person, and you can make those around you even better. So take it from me and do as I say. Go get a copy of Coach Chris Carlisle's Move or Die. And I can promise you this. Every page is an instant life lesson in which to learn from and to live with greater significance. Any last words, coach? Now you, hey, you, <laughs> I'm hiring you as my hype guy because that was a, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said. I appreciate you so much, Doc. Hey, uh, it just, it, it, was, it was a joy to do. It was a grind, but you know how much I love the grind. So I appreciate you, Doc. Well, I appreciate you too. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you this, the word grind is also in move or die. You're gonna learn how to grind and the more you grind, well, it's just like the coach here and myself. We actually sharpened each other today. And as you read Move or Die, you're going to get sharper yourself. So stay tuned because we'll be back with more. Are your sinuses sensitive to everything? Do you suffer with seasonal allergies? Are you ready for this year's pollen season? Primrose Leafs Breathe Q Plus supports sinus and respiratory health, balances the immune system in hypersensitive individuals, promotes normal mucous membrane function, and clears nasal passages naturally. Primrose Leafs Breathe Q Plus. Call them today at 844-376-0007. That's 844-376-0007. Or go to primroseleaf.com. It's time for you to breathe easy. <laughs> 